0: We're going to continue a sermon series and uh, that we started last week. Uh, we're, we're, we're calling it uh, Tougher Than Hell. And this is the kind of church that God wants to build. He wants to build a church that is uh, tougher than hell. Matthew 16, 18 is our key verse. It's right there. It says, Jesus said, I will build my church. And uh, he's talking to Peter. He says, now this I say to you, Peter, which means rock. Upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Um, he didn't say all the powers of hell will not come against it. He said all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Uh, and, and so, in a way, he, he is he is telling he he's reassuring us uh, that his church um, will prevail. He's reassuring us that the church of God, the church of Jesus Christ, the people of God, will prevail against all the powers of hell. And I think this is comforting. I think this is encouraging, um, especially in these last days where uh, there's a lot going going on and there's a lot that's not Jesus going on. And and uh, sometimes people get concerned and they wonder about well, what's gonna happen to the church. I've seen many blogs about how, you know, people are leaving the church and people aren't going to church anymore. And luckily, luckily, church is not a place you go to. Uh, Church is a place that Christ has built. So um, the amount of people in a building is not necessarily the only indicator of what the Holy Spirit is doing in a community. Um, and, and for me, when people ask me what, what's going to happen to the church, what's going to happen? Well, Jesus tells us right here that he will build his church and that all of the powers of hell will not be able to conquer. That's encouraging to know that his church is going to stick around. His church is going to be around. His church is going to prevail against all of the powers of hell now on the one hand it's encouraging on the other hand it's also a little bit scary because he's he's warning us that we're going to have a chance to um prove this statement (laughs) he says all the powers of hell will not prevail against it well how do we know how are we going to know that all the powers of hell don't prevail against us well all the powers of hell are going to come against you but they are not going to prevail against you. So on the one hand, it's encouraging, and on the other hand, it's a little bit concerning because Jesus says, hey, by the way, all of hell is out to destroy the church. That's why as soon as you start going to church, stuff starts falling apart in your life. <laughs> For all the first-time visitors, just, that, that's okay. Um, <laughs> you know? <laughs> uh, come back. Um but you really ought to know. I mean, you just, you just ought to be aware that if you want to follow Jesus, that if you want to uh, be close to God, which I assume that's why you're here, then you really ought to know that, that that's the, all of hell is going to put a target on your back. Uh, hell isn't that concerned about you when you're in the club. Hell isn't that concerned about you when you're out doing your own thing. Because really, you're, you're good as far as hell is concerned. So hell will mostly leave you alone because you're not a threat to anyone. But the enemy of our soul, Satan, he does get a little nervous whenever you decide to start moving closer to God. Whenever you decide to start walking away from some of those old habits, some of those old ways of thinking, some of those old friends. The enemy gets a bit concerned and he brings his powers against us. And Jesus is warning us of that. He's telling us, look, all of hell is going to come against you, but it's not going to prevail against you. So he gives us a promise. Yeah, he gives us a promise. And I'm excited about that. But the reason why, the reason why hell is not going to prevail against us is not because God is going to come in and swoop down and save us. It's not what he says. He doesn't say, look, 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 I will, I will babysit my church. And all the gates of hell will not be able to prevail. He's not saying that he's going to be the helicopter parent, right? Who makes sure that we don't get on the swing set? <laughs> he's, hey, I am, I, I, that I am one of those, so I can, I, I can make fun of myself. Um, he, I, he's not saying I will, I will, I will protect you from the powers of hell. I will deliver you from the powers of hell. He is saying, I am going to do something before hell comes against you. I'm going to build. I am going to build. I am going to build my church so that when hell comes against you. <laughs> is anybody in the building process right now? Anybody feel like maybe Jesus is laying a bit of a foundation, getting a couple of bricks going, a few studs? Are, are, are arriving on the construction scene and sometimes it's like man I, I really wish god would just build this a bit quicker you know i mean can, can he like speed this process up a little bit can not we get some walls up let's get a ceiling and, and a roof because i really need a house but the problem is that if you speed up the process you 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 really kind of thwart the, the product you mess up the product and so god's in a process of building his church, so that the, the end result, the church or the person, that's you and me, we are the church, the person that God ends up building is tougher, stronger than hell. Hell comes against us and we are stronger, tougher than heck. So that's what... <laughs> That's what God wants to do, and so and so. And, and, and so I, I just feel like as we're heading into this season, that that I need to bring some revelation into some of the reasons why. Uh, Your life looks like a a construction zone with, you know, some some things over here and some stuff over there and some cement over there and some sand over there. And it's it's a bit of a mess. Often a construction zone is entirely a mess. I mean, you walk on and if you don't have some kind of vision for the end result, you might get discouraged. And I'm afraid that many people get discouraged when they feel like God is breaking them, when really what God is doing is he's building them. He's building them. He is toughening them. And at the same time, I understand. I'm, I'm, I'm talking to Americans, and I am an American. And so I get it. Uh, we would rather escape than, than be tougher. You know, uh, we would rather take a pill to get rid of, you know, the fat than work out every day. It's just, it's just easier. It's, Oh, I'm sorry. I wasn't meaning to step anybody's toes. Just, that's just what I do. I just these things come to my head. And I'm like, it's because, because we, we, we like convenience. And I like convenience. I'm right there with you. Like, I will order something from McDonald's that I know is not even food. You know what I'm saying? Like, I will eat chicken McNuggets. I do not know what is in them. I don't care. They taste good, and it's convenient. Cause, cause otherwise I got to go home. I got to put something on a frying pan. I got to like, like, like my biggest problem with fruit, like Roe is always trying to get me to eat fruit and I like fruit. The problem is all fruit takes work. You either have to wash it, you know, what I mean like you, you buy raspberries at the store. You can't just take it home, open the package and eat them. Cause they've been spraying pesticides and junk all over them. You got to wash it before you can eat it. Like, I don't have to wash a Snickers bar before I can eat it, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's how I, these are the ways that I value them. Like, like I, I love oranges, but you gotta like, you know, cut the peel off, and you gotta get it all into your fingernails, your nails go all yellow, you know, and they smell like citrus, and, and you're sitting there peeling, and if you have any hangnails, they start stinging, you know. I, I like oranges, but I would prefer if they grew off of a tree already peeled, and ready to go. Like, I don't know why God didn't do that. You know what I'm saying? Like, like all this good stuff for you. I mean, you know, like uh, strawberries. I love strawberries. But the, the, the big green thing in the middle and the little big core on the inside, like, you got to cut them all out and stuff. I don't have time. Ain't nobody got time for that. Ain't nobody got time for that. Ain't nobody got time. Ain't nobody got time. Ain't nobody got time. I don't have time for that. Like, I just want the convenience. And so sometimes I make bad life choices because I love convenience. Cause I love it when somebody's already done the work for me, and they they you go through a drive-through, and within thirty seconds it's there, it's done. I don't have to think about it; it's convenient. And so I think many of us would would prefer this in in our spiritual lives. We would prefer, you know, the, like the old, uh, the old the old the uh, old uh, infomercial of that of that of the of, the, of the of that one oven. It was like a toaster oven. It was like you know, set it, set it, the Easy Bake Oven. What was it? Set it and. There you go. See, that's the kind of spiritual life I would like to have. You know, set it and forget it. Just, just, just put me on cruise. Put me on. I, I mean, I, you know, I, I say yes to Jesus. I, I show up to church. I do this, and then just like I'm done. I'm in. I'm set. I, I don't like the idea of building. I don't like the idea of process. I don't like the idea of, 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 this, of this thing that God has to do in order to get me tough. I don't want to get tougher. I just want to avoid my enemy. But Jesus is, is outlining for us the fact that that's not doable. You cannot avoid your enemy, just like you can't avoid your health. I mean, you can keep eating at McDonald's if you like, but... You cannot avoid what it's doing to your body, which by the way, the last six months, I've got a little more healthy. Ro can, Ro, Ro can attest to that. I've been eating Kind Bars and, because they don't take any preparation, but it's pretty healthy. I've been eating some Kind Bars and uh, uh, Laura Bars and, and uh, 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 I, I, I've actually bought some salads at Walmart. You know, like the salads in, in, inside the little packages, you know, it's like two ninety nine. you get a salad, put a little something on it. I I'm changing, and so I, I think that's kind of exciting. Transforming, that's right. He's building. He's doing a little building. Because, because you, you need to take care of your body. You need, so anyway, so I'm trying to do that. But, 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 but I, I naturally don't, don't think like that. I naturally don't value a process. I don't value building. I don't value um, uh, fights in a marriage. I don't, I don't like that. I, I, would, I would rather things just go smooth. You know, set it and forget it. I told you, I I told her I loved her once. I said I do, didn't I? I I do and I did. Come on, Jonathan's preaching with me. You and to come on, I'll I'll get you a mic, Jonathan. It'll be good. Uh, You know what I mean? I mean, I don't like trouble in marriage. I don't like, I don't like arguments. I don't like ups. Like, can't we just cruise? Can't we just, you know, glide? Can't we just set it and forget it? I mean, I mean, how many times do you have to tell your kids to do like the same thing? How many lessons? How many times do they have to learn the same? lesson? I thought we already been over this. I thought we already figured this out. Can't, can't, can't they just get it? Oh, well, oh you guys all have perfect kids. My kids, it takes a while. It takes, and I'm telling, it takes a while. And, and if you really, if if you, if you really want to have fun, try pastoring a church. That's a lot of fun, because. Because I thought I preached about that Sunday. And you're, at, you're talking to me Monday, the same. Okay, well, sometimes I just bring up the podcast. And I'm just like, here you go. Just hit play. Like the Holy Spirit was picking. Oh, yeah, you missed that Sunday. That's right. You slept in. Here you go. Just go ahead and listen to it. The Lord's going, Lord's going to play. And, you know, I mean, can't, can't we just set it and forget it? Can't we just put it on autopilot? Can't we just glide? I mean, can't we just deal with something and then just move on? Why this long building process? Why is God doing this? Why, why do I need to be so strong? I don't feel like I need to be so strong. I just need to avoid hell all of my life. But what God is saying is that you are not going to be able to avoid the powers of hell. The powers of hell are coming against you. The question is, are you strong enough? Are you strong enough? Has, have you allowed God to strengthen you? So we talked about last week how if you ask God for more strength, uh, the way that he gives you more strength is by giving you more struggle. He puts some weight on because you don't build strength without resistance. Uh, I read about weightlifting once, and that's that's what they said. You have to, you have to, you got to pick heavy stuff up, and you got to set heavy stuff down, like over and over and over again, with no purpose at all. And apparently, that builds muscle. It builds strength because resistance. You don't you don't build muscle without without resistance, without, without struggle. And so if you ask God for more strength, don't be surprised if God gives you more struggle because more struggle will help you build more strength. And so the answer is not, oh, don't ever ask God for more strength. No, the answer is start to value the struggle. Start to see the struggle in a different way. If, if this sermon series does anything for you, I hope that it helps you see difficulty differently. We gotta see difficulty differently. It is not something to be avoided. It is also not a sign that you're a failure. You, you face difficulty in your marriage. It doesn't mean that your marriage is a failure. In fact, if you never argue in your marriage, that's where you need to be concerned. Because somebody's not sharing what they're thinking. So you might not ever argue, but you might be ready to blow up inside. You know what I'm saying? So if, if you never have a bad day, that's where you might need to be concerned. If you're never working on it, if you can't, if I ask you what's God working on in your life and you have no idea, that's where you really ought to be concerned. There ought to be some areas of struggle in your life. If there's no areas of struggle, there's no areas of growth. So God stopped working on you then. So just, He just poured the slab and just left it? <laughs> it's not good. How come? Why, what, what has stopped the working of the Holy Spirit in your life? So first of all, we got to see difficulty differently. We ought to see it differently. And Paul sees it differently in Romans chapter 8. It's been our anchor passage. Romans chapter 8, uh, last few verses, actually, of this great chapter. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? We talked about that last week, that the enemy's attempt. Uh, all of the things that follow this are in order to try to separate us from the love of Christ, separate our connection with Jesus. Uh, and then he says, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword those are not random words that he's just coming up with. We're going to go over these in the, in, the, in the following weeks. These are actual things that we're going to face. As it is written, for your sake, this is, he's quoting Psalm 44, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter, yet in all these things. <laughs> yet in, this is what I talked about last week, in all these things. God's not going to take us out of all of these things. Yet in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Is anybody going through anything? Because that might not be too encouraging for you unless you're actually in some of those things. So if you're in something, let me encourage you that the, the, the Bible says, Jesus says, the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul says... In all of these things, we are currently more than conquerors. Now, I grew up in church. I, 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 the first time I went to church, I was two weeks old and my parents believed in never missing a service. So I have a lot of church, like, like I know church, like, 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 I don't, I know church better than I know anything else. So I, I know, church. I grew up in church. I do church. I, I love preaching. Um, I, I love listening to preaching, uh, podcasts, you name it. I mean, I was 15 years old before we had the internet, um, uh, <laughs> or at least before we had it at my house. Uh, I had little cassette tapes and I would pop it in a, di- uh, not a Discman, a Walkman. It was a Walkman. Anybody remember the Walkman? Pop a, di- a, a cassette tape in a Walkman, put your phones on. I'd be listening. Listening to sermons while I'm mowing the lawn. And so I, I've, I've heard a few preachers in my time and I've heard several preachers talk about this passage. And generally they all, they all focus on the fact that we are conquerors and that's exciting, right? We win, we have the victory and there is something to be excited about that. I mean, that's good to know that when you're in the middle of something that we are already on the winning side. That we are already conquerors. In fact, that God has already won the victory for us. Amen. That God has already defeated the enemy. We are not fighting. When we talk about spiritual warfare and fighting the enemy, we're not talking about fighting for victory. We're talking about fighting from victory. I'm preaching better than she, she she's amen in me, but everybody, you all are slacking. We're preaching, we are fighting. From a place of victory. The, the battle's already won. Jesus has already won the Super Bowl. It's already, he's, he already spiked the ball over the goal, even though that's illegal, but he did it anyway because it's just cool. I mean, he's already won the battle. He's defeated the enemy. He has the keys to death, hell, and the grave. There is nothing else that he is going to do. He's already won it. That is the gospel. The gospel is the declaration of the victory of Jesus Christ. Which is why it's so weird when Christians are so grumpy. <laughs> like, are you even saying, oh, there's this person and there's that? I mean, some, Christians are some of the most grumpy, touchy, sensitive, irritable, wake up on the wrong side of the bed kind of people sometimes. And it doesn't make any sense because apparently, according to the gospel, according to the declaration of the entire New Testament, we've already won. We already have the victory over diseases and over sickness and over death even. I mean, we, have, we already have this awesome victory. That is the gospel. But typically, that's, that's kind of where uh, preachers stop. They say, we are conquerors and we're going to make it. And that's good. But it's just kind of weird because the Apostle Paul says we are more than conquerors. And I think one of the reasons why this is so ambiguous for pre- preachers and teachers that I ran into is that, that, that word, more than conquer that's, that's one word in the original language, in the Greek language, and that one word was never used anywhere else in the entire Bible. This is the only place that that word is used, which the Apostle Paul was kind of known for doing that because he was so intelligent and he had such a good uh, grasp of the Greek language, he would just make up words didn't make stuff up. And that's wonderful for him and his communication skills, but for me, I'm trying to figure out what does that mean? What does it mean to be more than a conqueror? So some translations say we have ultimate victory, we have resounding victory. It's like victory with an exclamation point, you know. It's like we win and we celebrate at the same time, you know, we got swag in the middle of it. It's like, it's like it's like victory, but like really, really, really it's like I I I don't know. What is more than a conquer? Is it because to me, if you conquer, you conquer, if you don't, you don't. Nobody almost conquers, and nobody over-conquers. It's just you, you do it, or you, you win, or it's a, it's a W or an, or an L at the end of the day. It's a win or a loss. Well, according to Paul, there is something else. There's a more than conqueror, and this is the only time that Paul ever uses that word. It's the only time it's ever used in the entire New Testament. It's just not in Scripture, and so in those instances, uh, for those of you who'd like to study the Bible, you need to, you need to know that, 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 that you can go outside of the Bible to try to un- get an understanding of a word. So I started looking around at other ancient texts. And there was a Christian historian who came a few years after Paul. Um, shortly, I mean, he was, he was almost in the lifetime of Paul. He, he, he wrote about different things that were happening, and he used this word as well. The, the context that he used this word was in the context of somebody who had been conquered uh, by the Roman government. He had been captured, and um, he was brought before the Roman emperor, and the Roman emperor said, you need to, you need to pay tribute. You need to, you need to worship our, our, our statue here. And the way that they worshiped was was you're supposed to take incense from this bowl, drop it over here, over the fire, and um, say, such and such is Lord. Um, and that, that was worship. And so they captured this guy, they conquered him. And then they brought him in chains and, and, and he, refused, he refused to worship that, that particular deity. And so, and so they pulled him up, you know, they hung him, they hung him uh, in, in, in the air, beat him until his legs were, were pulverized and his arms were broken and, and pulverized. And then uh, the Christian historian said, then when he was fully conquered, when he was more than conquered, it's the same word. The word is uh, hype. Uh, well, it's it's huper uh, dekaios. It's a combination of huper, which in English would be hyper. Uh, you guys, you guys know the meaning of that. Hyper. Uh, that's 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 Daniel. That's Daniel. He's 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 he's, he's, he's uh, hyper. It's a lot of energy. He's he's he's, he's ready to go. And uh, yeah, yeah. You, you need a It's good to have a hyper drummer. You don't wanna you don't wanna. A, 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 Soft and easy drummer. You want somebody who's going to go for it. Uh, hyper. Uh, or if you hyperextend your knee, right, you go above and beyond the normal range of motion. It's, it's above and beyond It's something more than hyper and then dekaios is to conquer. And so, and so the Christian historian used the word about the man who was beaten so bad that, that he, he didn't have control of his arms or his legs anymore, said that he was then hyper conquered. He, he was fully conquered so that the Roman officials could force him against his will to offer tribute to the idol. In other words, now that his arms are not able to move, they can take his arms, scoop up some incense, dump it in the fire, and say that he did pay tribute to this, this deity. So so the, the, so the his Q&A will be after the sermon. Uh, no, no, just kidding. Uh, and, so, and so the term hyperconquer seems to mean that you not only defeat and render useless your enemy, but then you enslave your enemy and make him do, make him work for you, make him serve you. And this is the word that Paul uses with regard to all of these things. He says, in all of these things, we're not simply conquering the enemy, right? Jesus has already conquered the enemy and rendered him useless, but, Now we are enslaving the enemy and he's working for us in all of these things. We are more than conquerors. We are being served by the devil. We are being served by the enemy. When the enemy comes against us and brings tribulation, he doesn't want to. He doesn't mean to. But what he's really doing is he is helping us. In all of these things, we are being served by our enemy. Our enemy is serving us. Now, I know many of you are looking at me like, huh? I thought the devil was bad. Um, Yeah, but God uses what the enemy brings against us in order to build us. The enemy tries to break us. God is trying to build us, and they both use the same tool. You know, you know a weapon and a tool is, it could be the same item, just depending on whose hand it's in. right? If you're, if you're in a dark alley and somebody comes running at you with a knife, <laughs> you should run. Just FYI, just run, call the cops, get out of there. This is not good. He's an enemy. He's going to use it against you. But you give a very sharp knife to a surgeon, and he's going to use it for you. He's going to he's going to, he's going to cut you just like the other person wanted to cut you. But the, the the intention is different. One is to hurt you; the other is to bring healing to you. So this is how God brings healing into our lives. This is how God builds us through these various things. We're going to go through them, tribulation and, and distress and persecution, famine, and even, even poverty, nakedness and peril and sort. These things come against us, but they, the intention of the enemy is to destroy us with them, but God uses them to build us up. Just like arguments build up a marriage, if they're dealt with correctly, an argument a disagreement helps build up an ability to communicate honestly with somebody else so that you can reach a resolution. They can, they can help build. Just like correction can help build up a child to where, to where they don't like it but, it, but it can really help build them up and make them, make them a better person. God brings these things that we don't necessarily like. We would rather get the microwave version of it, but God's building something. And then he did the same thing with, with, with Joseph. You guys remember uh, Joseph in the book of Genesis. Joseph is, is, is a, a guy who is given a coat of many colors by his dad. Uh, it's not fair at all. I talked about it last week. And um, he, is, he is favored by his dad and his brothers hate him. They're jealous of him and his brothers are sitting by a well. They see Joseph coming toward him, toward them and they start scheming about how they can get rid of him, right? Joseph... He's a jerk. it's a punk. We want to get rid of him. And so they start talking, how can we do it? Can we, can we kill him? And like, you know, me, fake his, you know, say it was an accident. And, and uh, so they, they started, they started, they started talking about how they can get rid of Joseph. And then one of them has an idea, Hey, let's sell him to these traders over here as a slave. That way we make a little cash on the side. And so they do that. It's an awful thing. It's a horrible thing. Joseph goes through years of torment in the dungeon twice, actually. Uh, I mean, just go through so much for so many years. And then at the end of his story, he reunites with his brothers and and he tells them the passage in, in Genesis 50, verse 20. This is a famous passage, actually. He says, what you intended, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. This is one of the most misquoted passages in Scripture. Uh, Usually people say, What the enemy meant for good, God, or what the enemy meant for evil, God used for good, or God turned around for good. And and the the problem with the misquote is that it, it makes it sound like the enemy was there in the beginning, messing your childhood up messing your parents up, mess, they were, the enemy was in the beginning. He did something bad in your life. And then later on, you met Jesus and Jesus stepped into your life and said, oh my goodness, we need to, we need to, we need to bring healing to all this. And so Jesus says, okay, so uh, I'll, take, I'll take that. I'll use it, I'll use it, I'll use it, I'll use it. And then Jesus is starting to make things better because that's kind of the way that we think. We think of God as like the eternal handyman. He's, he's Mr. Fix-It. But but this is not what Joseph says. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it. God intended it. God intended it? Wait, wait, wait. hold on. God intended it all for good. Now, the, the intention was different as far as the end goal, but the it was the same. Now, you think about it for just a second. The tool was the same. It it was in the hand of his brothers. His brothers saw him coming. They said, man, we're going to we're going to get him out of here. We got to get him out of here. Meanwhile, God is up in heaven saying, I got to get him out of there. I got to get him out of Canaan. There's no way he's going to fulfill his destiny. There's no way he's going to uh, rule over all of Egypt so long as he is stuck in Canaan. I got to get him out of there. His his enemy said, I got to get him out of here. His God said, I got to get him out of here. His enemy said, I got an idea. God said, that'll work. <laughs> no, like seriously, like this is what Joseph is saying. Joseph, even if you, if you keep reading, Joseph said, you didn't actually send me here. God sent me here. That's how he could forgive his enemies because his enemies were not the one directing his destiny. God was in charge of his life and he said, God sent me here and look what God's done. Look at all the good that has come out, not of what you did that was evil, but of how God used you to get me where he wanted me to be. We have to start seeing difficulty differently. Otherwise, we get bitter. Because look at those brothers. Look what they did to me. Look what they did to me. Joseph didn't say, look what you did. He said, I know what you meant. I know your heart was not right. Trust me, I can see that. But I also know that God intended the very same thing that you did. God meant for good for me. You said, I got to get Joseph out of here because you were jealous of me. God said, I got to get Joseph out of here because God had a plan for me. So the intention was different. The action was the same. The the, the tool is a weapon in one hand and a a tool in the other. And the difference difference is that God sees the end from the very beginning. So when God sets up our lives, God is not coming into the middle of our life trying to fix it. He was there at the very beginning. Like like he was there when, when the foundation was laid. So God's not Mr. Handyman where, well, we need to move that and tear down that wall and never meant for that to be in there. And boy, wow, who who designed that? No, God God was there in the beginning. Your, Your enemy was not there in the beginning. God was there in the beginning. And God's plan for your life was there in the beginning. And all that the enemy has thrown at you has been a part of what God wants to use to Build you into the person that he's called you to be. You've got to start seeing difficulty differently. Have to start seeing it from an eternal point of view, from a, a broader point of view. Because I, I understand that we, that we want things to go smoothly. Uh, I talked about this during prayer. Uh, 21 days of prayer just wrapped up this week. But well, one of the nights I was talking about uh, gliders. I just had this, this picture in my head of a glider. You know, those hand gliders, you climb up on a mountain or a tall building, you jump. I've always thought that would be awesome. And you just, you just glide. You just sh- sh- like, like so smoothly, just cruise. I always thought that'd be so much fun. Just smoothly gliding. And, 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 and when I think of that picture, I, I really think that that's kind of what we're all after. Right? When somebody says, how's it going? You kind of think through, okay, so how smoothly is it going? How am I gliding? How, is, how smoothly is my marriage going? How smoothly is my church going? How smoothly is my, are my kids going? How smoothly is my life? How smoothly is my finances going? How smoothly is my job going? Because for us, smooth is good, which is true if you're a glider. Smooth is good. Any kind of wind is bad. <laughs> Storms, bad. Tornadoes, very bad. Uh, uh, you know, twirling, twisting wind bad it'll it 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 will wreck you in fact if 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 a glider climbs up to a place and sees that it's not going to be good weather he's got to make a decision not to glide today because he can't handle it anything that's not smooth is bad which is which is how we often interpret life the problem with gliding though is you really don't get any higher than where you start so you jump from a place and it's all downhill from there so if you're gliding, we just encourage you, it's all downhill from here, you're, you're just, it's, it's just downhill, <laughs> um, this is why God doesn't want us to be gliders, this is why we have a little invention called an airplane, because airplanes start at their lowest point, and it's all up from there, but the way that they get up is a little something called headwind you have to get going fast enough to get resistance to get wind and so sometimes when we're following god and we're going faster and faster and suddenly we start hitting resistance we're so used to a gliding mentality that we'll hit the brakes oh god i hey, well, uh, don't think I, i'm not i'm not quite ready for that let's just let's pump the brakes and we, we, we were going pretty smoothly there for a while right yeah, but you're not getting off the ground. <laughs> so, so the difference is you've been used to a culture that, 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 that is teaching you that gliding is where it's at. And naturally, we naturally just want to have less conflict, less tribulation, less trouble. We want to just smoothly glide through life. And, and any kind of turbulence is a sign of trouble. But, it, but we got to start seeing difficulty differently. That turbulence, headwind, wind coming against you is actually a sign, one, that you're moving. You don't you don't have trouble unless you're moving. <laughs> you don't have trouble unless you're going forward. And, and and two, it's a sign that God's trying to create little thing called lift in your life. And there's constant tension. In an airplane. I mean, you even look at the shape of the wings. They're bent downward. That's, that's preparing for the amount of headwind that it's going to hit so that they'll straighten out when they're in the air. And then while they're flying, I don't know if you've been in a, a cockpit before, but yeah, the, the pilot, it, whenever it's not an autopilot, the pilot's always doing this. And that's not because he's a bad driver. <laughs> it's because, it's because the, 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 the constant wind wants to torque the plane like this in, in, into a spin. And so he has to constantly correct. He'll correct this wing a little bit, and then that one a little bit, and this one. You're good, for those of you that don't fly very often, Texans, um, you're good. Why would I ever leave Texas? I got everything I need right here. <laughs> There's a thing called seasons. Other places have four of them. That's awesome. I might try it sometime, just go visit. I'm not saying live there. Just go visit. You know what I'm saying? But, but, you got to be careful when you start knocking Texas around here. I'm from Michigan, so I can say that. Um, so you, 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 you get in the air and it gets windy. People get nervous, you know. <laughs> okay. Uh, it's fine. But, but you, you're, you're good as long as you're going like this. Because that means the, the plane is constantly correcting. Where, where, where you need to be concerned is when you start going like this. You start feeling that, you're in trouble. So say your prayers, call your spouse. It's bad, but as long as you're doing that, I've I've been in plane, I've been in private planes where we I was flying with this pilot one time. He was a former test pilot for the for the Air Force. He's like, yeah, I'd fly planes up. They didn't know if it was gonna work. I just take it up there and see. Like, dude, okay. <laughs> You're my kind of guy. Let's do this. And so, you know, I mean, we've, we, we went between two storms. There were two storms spinning in opposite directions. And we cut, he said, we're going to go see the radar. We're going to go right there. And I was like, okay, great. And so, you know, it just gets black. You get hail. It gets crazy. The plane's going like this. But as long as it's going like this, it's okay because there's constant correction. It's when it goes like this that you're in trouble or this you're in trouble. But you got you got So as long as there's constant correction in your life. You say, seems like God's always on my case. He's correcting me here, and then he's correcting me there, and then he's correcting me here, and then he's correcting. Yeah, he's trying to keep you in the air. When there's no correction, that's when you're in trouble. You, when God stops correcting you, when he stops, when he stops building you, when trouble stops hitting you and a headwind ceases from in front of you, you know you're about to fall got to start seeing difficulty differently. Even the correction that he brings, it's constant. It's constant. That's what balance is. It's constant correction. It's its change this and then change that and work on this and then work on that and then work on this and work on that and move this and move that. Well, Lord, can I just set it and forget it? No, not on a plane. You cannot. God is 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 helping you, teaching you how to fly. He's teaching us all how to fly. Constant correction. Uh, i getting ready to wrap up, but I, I think that as these difficulties hit us and they are hitting us and they will hit us, they'll hit you this school year. As, as we get ready to pray for our, our students today, they're going to they're gonna encounter headwind. They're going to encounter deadlines that they're not ready for. They're going to encounter homework. Um, they're going to encounter teachers. They're going to encounter bullies. They're going to encounter uh, difficult. As they go back to school, they're going to encounter difficulty, and even and even for those of us that homeschool, they're going to encounter all of those same things. You know what I'm saying? It's just in the home. Uh, you, you, they're going to encounter some difficulty. The kids and students and teachers, and faculty, it doesn't matter. As we step into this season, even if you're not even in the school system, you're gonna encounter difficulty on your job, in your marriage, we're all coming toward headwind. The question is, can we see difficulty differently? Can we see it accurately? Can we see what it's supposed to be doing in our lives? Because otherwise we waste, we waste perfectly good headwind. It's It's a complete waste to pump the brakes when the wind is coming against you, you wasted the wind, it's like, it's, it's like when you're trying to fly a kite, you just wait for a, a gust, right, and as soon as you get that gust, you grab that kite, and you start running with it, because you know that you only got a certain amount of time for that gust, is going to last, but, but, but if you're just going for gliding, if you're just going for relaxing, then the gust of wind is kind of troublesome, because, you know, your, your kite's doing just fine on the ground, then all of a sudden, it, you know, that, that doesn't work, it's The very thing that's helpful to you if you're trying to reach a new level is hurtful to you when you're trying to stay where you're at. And so the question is, are you going to utilize the headwind? Are you going to utilize what's, what's coming against you? Are you going to be able to utilize the tribulation and the peril and, and the poverty and the different things that scripture talked about? Are you going to be able to put it to good use this season? Or is it just going to be something that you try to dodge and, and, and survive God, God wants us to be more than conquerors. God wants us to, yes, render our enemy useless, but then he wants to use what our enemy is bringing against us to build us and make us who he wants us to be so that we can fly, so that we can get to the next level, so that we can reach a, a new place, not where it becomes easier, but where we're stronger and all of hell comes against us and we don't snap. Flying... Uh, I did, like I said, I did a lot of flying back in the day. Uh, I was a personal assistant for a traveling minister. We were, we were going to a place uh, just off of the coast of Florida. It was the, the Gulf Coast. There's this little island. I forget what it's called. But I, I remember flying in. They had just had a hurricane. They have a lot of hurricanes coming through the Gulf of Mexico frequently, just kind of hitting that area. And they just had a hurricane um, like a couple of weeks prior, um, done a lot of damage. And uh, you fly in, you see some of the damage on buildings and stuff and uh, like, you know, the McDonald's sign was down and things like that, they're still having church. Um, so we, we flew in, but it was, it was, it was interesting to me just, just to notice how the kinds of trees uh, that they have. I'm from Michigan, we have a lot of tall oak trees, a lot of pine trees, um, a lot of strong trees, you know, like big roots, uh, big trunks, solid maple trees. You can read about them in books. These big trees. And uh, it's funny, like you fly, you fly, you fly over and you don't see any of that. You don't see any of those kind of trees in the Gulf of Mexico. You just don't see it. Florida, it's not there. Why? Because of hurricanes. They can't grow there. They're so rigid. They're so set. That when... Powerful, powerful 120 mile an hour wind comes ripping through that area. They'd be they snapped. So they don't even they don't grow there. You know what the kind of trees they have? A bunch of palm trees. A bunch of palm trees. And palm trees, they, 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 they do this, you know? They sway. They, they, they are so bendable. Not rigid at all. The wind hits them. And they just go with it. And the wind hits them this side, and they just, they just go with it. And, and I, I felt like the Lord was speaking to me when I was flying over those, those palm trees. I said, this is, this is the kind of Christian that will be able to last through all of hell hitting them, through the winds of life hitting them. The kind of Christian that can bend but not break. The kind of Christian that is moldable. 1904, Welsh revival I talk about periodically is over a hundred years ago, it happened in Wales. Amazing revival, 100,000 people were saved in three months. Um, the guy by the name of Evan Roberts was the main uh, preacher during the revival. Uh, and it all started with prayer meetings. He had a prayer meeting. And uh, one of the guys in the prayer meeting said, God, bend us. And it was just kind of became a bit of a theme. And so Evan Roberts, you know, just that just that just sunk down inside of him. And he just began crying out, God, bend me. Not bend us, not bend whales, not bend our political system, but God, bend me. And he just began praying that over, bend me, bend me, bend me, God, bend me me because because so often we are so prideful and so rigid in our way of doing things in our way of living that that when life hits us we snap we break all the growth that has happened throughout throughout the past six months goes away as soon as we get some strong wind because we were not bendable to God All the enemy brought against us accomplished what he was trying to do, which was cut us off from the love of God. He was able to pull us away from the love of God because we were we were we were standing like this. Strength, real strength. When I'm talking about being tougher than hell, I'm not talking about gritting your teeth and being able to be like, I can do this. No, real strength comes from allowing the winds of life to bend me toward Jesus, to bend me toward God, to let God mold me and shape me and do with me whatever he would have me to do. God, bend me, bend my heart, bend my schedule, bend my kids, bend my marriage. I know I always talk like this, but bend me. I know I always react like this, but bend me, change me. I'm tired of the same reaction. I need to be bent. I need to be bent. Bend me. It's not, it's not, it's not my government that needs to be bent. It's not the president. It's me. I need to be bent. The problem with my country is me. The problem with my family is me. There's too much of me. I am too much of an oak tree in the middle of all of this stuff. Things that come against me just snap me bend me make me bendable make make me bendable I think that's revival that's revival right there when the church just starts bending toward God when the church bends it's not not revival when people start shouting more it's revival when people start kneeling more when they bend their knee to the lordship of Christ God bend me create in me a clean heart oh God creating me a clean heart. I need to change. I need to change. I don't need my circumstances to change. I need to change. Palm trees stick around for years in the Gulf of Mexico. I need to change. I don't need my circumstance. I don't need to get for God to get me out of this and for my for my spouse to start treating me right. I need to change. I don't care what kind of wind is coming against me. If I am bendable, if I am submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, I can change. I can bend. I can survive. I can be stronger after the storm. <laughs> That's the good part about storms is it, is it weeds out all the people It weeds out all, all the people that were that were there for the good weather in your life, but it also weeds out all the attitudes in your heart that was there for the good weather. It weeds out all your arrogance and your pride. It says, "Wait a minute, I need to bend." Church can change without growing, but it can't grow without changing. And I would say the same is true with your marriage, with your kids, with your life. You can change without growing, but you cannot grow without changing. You must be bendable for God to do what he wants to do. Lord, we come before you right now and we just confess our need for you. We need you. We need you to bend us. We need you to change us. So we submit to you, Lord. Maybe you're here for the, uh, maybe you're here and it's your first time just even even calling on God. <laughs> and you just know that you're tired of, of being that kite drug along the ground and you know God needs to make a change in your life. Would you raise your hand right now and say, that's me. I need to, I need God to change me. I need,